GBC, welcome back. One of your former pastors, our brother in Christ, Brother Mark Lowe. Well, after the passage of nearly 10 years, it is such a joy uh, to be with you here at Greensburg Baptist Church, a church that means so much to me and my family with a membership that we dearly love. And I tell you, as I look across the congregation this morning, there are certainly some new faces, those that I don't know. And that's a praise. It speaks to the growth that has occurred in this place. It speaks to the fact that there's progress being made here in Christ's kingdom. And there are certainly many here that I do recognize and have so many wonderful memories with. I just praise the Lord that we're here today. And just by way of introduction, I appreciate Blake's overly kind words. But I think you have a right to know, you know when someone stands before you, what's this person about? Where do they stand? That type of thing. Um, I'll just put it to you this way. Earlier today, in this building... I was accused of being an Oprah Winfrey fan. Um, that's a high insult to me. I take it extremely personally. Um, I haven't changed since I left here. If you knew me before, um, it is what it is. I'll just put it this way. Joel Osteen, Oprah Winfrey, I could go down the line. Make no mistake, I have no use for any of it. Uh, anything liberal and me don't go together, and that is a complete understatement, but I'll just leave it at that. I, I will tell you this. I have a church member that told me she was going to buy me the talking cube that had Joel Osteen's encouraging messages. And she said, you can listen to it. And she was joking. Of course, anytime you want to hear it, I would have shot that thing for entertainment value. <laughs> you know, the thing of it is, I guess it's like this. When Osteen says your best, this is going to be your best year ever. How do you know that? Did he say that at the beginning of 2020? How'd that pan out for him? Way to go, prophet. Your best year. Those are the things of God. A man doesn't know that. I, and I see things. Oprah Winfrey, one reason she turned against God, at least in the classical sense, in the way we would understand it, she didn't like the fact God is a jealous God. And I, if I remember, and I'm paraphrasing, if I remember it correctly, she said, well, the thing of it is, I'm not, we're told not to be jealous as individuals, so why then can't the divine one, why does he have to be jealous? And, and again, the deep scholar that she is, she doesn't recognize the fact God is jealous for the praise of him because he deserves it all. It's his praise. When it's anywhere else, it's displaced. The purpose of a man is to glorify God. And that she goes, I don't like that. Friend, you don't have to like it. That's the way it is. He's God and we are not. So again, I just tell you, I'm a fundamentalist, essentially. I have leanings towards the independent Baptist. I was brought up in Sawdust Revivals. A lot of the preachers I really love are all dead now. Harold Seitler, Billy Kelly, the great Curtis Hudson, sort of the Lord type people, if you know who I'm talking about. I don't have the King James only leanings, but other than that, I'm right there with them. But I'll just tell you, I'm grateful to be here today. Um, certainly, I appreciate Blake, or more properly, Dr. Jesse for extending the invitation uh, to be here and for this opportunity. You know, I congratulate Blake on earning his doctorate. That's not a light accomplishment, by the way. Being able to earn that degree while carrying on full-time pastoral ministry and a full family, obviously, and all they have going on, I appreciate uh, Blake's diligence in doing it. I appreciate Brother Todd's courtesy, his love and support. He's shown us here already. But I believe that God works in the totality of a believer's circumstances and experiences when he's calling a person to vocational Christian service. And I tell you, I felt God's calling at various times in my life prior to coming to Greensburg, but it was in this church where his calling really became crystal clear. This fellowship really served as the catalyst that prompted me to take the decisive step to move into pastoral ministry. I remember Brother Garnet Gupton. And what a dear man of God he was. He came up to me on that aisle right there about where Tony's sitting. He grabbed me by the elbow and he said, are you ready to be a deacon? And I thought, well, I don't know. Maybe not. But uh, Brother Garnett pursued that. I'm grateful for that. Later, 
uh, Brother Cliff Cook asked me, and it was probably just, it seemed like a chance event. I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in fate, by the way. But it might have seemed that way to the untrained eye. Brother Cliff Cook one time asked me, do you want to speak on Baptist Men's Day? And I thought, yeah, I could do that. And the response I received from that was used by the Lord to further me down that road of vocational uh, Christian ministry. I remember vividly being in Patty's Sunday school class. The good times we had there. I remember that uh, one time we, what was it called Hobo Soup? Is that the name of it? And that was a vile concoction. I'm a picky eater anyway. But I'm going to tell you, the stuff that went into that pot, let's make it as bad as we possibly can. And friend, people, they went out and did it. That could be seen from the space shuttle. It was, oh, man. Memories I haven't had before or since. I'll just put it that way. But I am very glad that Becky and Jason could be here today. Uh, they were very faithful here. And on a personal note, they did a tremendous job. When I was ordained in this church and they, they sang solos, we asked them to do that. I still listen to their singing on cassette from that day. That's how long it's been. I'm dating myself. My children think I'm a dinosaur anyway, so so be it. When I use the term tablet, you know what I mean? But I mean a, I mean a paper thing with red and blue lines on it to me. Anyway, but that's been quite a while. They did a tremendous job back then, and I'm so grateful for them being present here today. But I'm indebted to this church. I'm grateful for all the Lord has done in my life and through my family's life here through this assembly. And to give you just a quick update on where we are, where we, what we're doing as a family, since we left Greensburg in 2011, I was called to be pastor of New Bethel Baptist Church there in Evansville, Indiana. I'm still pastor of that church uh, at this date. Uh, Amy, my wife, was a nurse when she was here, and she's now a family nurse practitioner. We have three wonderful children, and going from oldest to youngest, Molly graduated from college. She, she now teaches full-time. Uh, Peter is currently a college student, and Brady, who was a baby when we were here, is now 11 years of age. And we're very grateful and proud of all our children. I thank God for each one of them. What does Psalm 127 and 3 tell us? Children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring a reward from Him. So thank you for allowing us to come back. I was telling Blake in the audience, uh, audience in the off, office earlier, you know, oftentimes when you leave a church, you may not get the chance to go back. I don't take the opportunity for granted because sometimes things change, theologies change, whatever it might be. Sometimes that door never opens again. But I'm certainly grateful that it has here. <clears throat> you might be aware that in this revival, every speaker is going to be preaching from the book of Philippians. So since you're going to hear several messages from the same book, I know you'll be here for every service. I thought it might be helpful to give you a brief overview of Philippians. When you're reading and attempting to understand what the Bible is saying to you, much could be said here. I'll just summarize 400 pages into one sentence. Context is always critically important. And Philippians was written, of course, by the Apostle Paul, one of his prison epistles, one of four, and he was imprisoned likely in Rome somewhere around 61 to 63 A.D. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony, a relatively small city. This is the modern-day Greece we're referring to. But it was significant. It was on the Ignatian Way. You might re remember that term from history class, a major thoroughfare in the ancient world. It facilitated trade in the city. Now, why is Philippi called Philippi? Well... Because it was founded by King Philip II of Macedonia. Philip, uh, a major figure in history, overshadowed by his son, a young man you might have heard of by the name of Alexander the Great. And by the way, not to go down a rabbit trail, so many are, so, are very tempting today, I tell you they are. But just as a brief aside, the rise and fall of Alexander the Great is predicted in the 8th chapter of the book of Daniel. And there is some evidence... When he came to Jerusalem, Alexander was presented with the biblical prophecies about him in person. About his own life, centuries, they were written centuries earlier. I find that fascinating. But look it up, son. Daniel chapter 8, Alexander's rise and fall. Back to today's material. The church at Philippi is considered to be the first church founded in Europe. 
And the Apostle Paul, of course, founded it. Second missionary journey is described in Acts 16. And you might recall, Paul had wanted to preach in Asia. He was prevented by the Holy Spirit. And Paul's path was redirected at that point. And one of the places he was sent to was Philippi. And I think sometimes people fail to realize there's some old cliches out there, some old terms and phrases that are thrown around. They seem to be just a cliche, but in actuality, they're grounded in truth. Like this one, God opens doors and He closes doors. Do you think that's just a bumper sticker, something on the refrigerator? That's entirely true. God opens some doors. He blocks some pathways. I believe in God's sovereignty over all things. And though we're in a different culture, 2,000 years removed from Paul's world, is it not reasonable that God, who does not change Malachi 3 and 6, would also open and close doors in your life? Now, Paul does address some disagreements, some issues in portions of the book, and I'm sure the, the speakers to follow will touch on those, but Philippians is known primarily as what? The epistle of joy. It's perhaps Paul's most personal letter. It demonstrates his warmth toward this congregation. But the church at Philippi was not perfect. No church is, after all. But in this letter, Paul's thanking the Philippians for the support they provided to him. And he's expressing how to have joy, peace, and contentment in their Christian walk, regardless of external circumstances. Now, consider our world in 2021. Anxiety. Depression, the COVID pandemic, the rise in suicide, isolationism, political division. Maybe you've heard about that. You know, I, I hear people, Brother Mark, I wish you talked more about politics. And others say, stay away from that. I stay away from it. I would love to go down that road, but I tell you, I don't watch it like I used to. You know why that is? It, it brings me down. I'd rather watch National Geographic than the news, personally the game show channel, whatever it may be. I, I, the hatred, all of it, I, I just can't take it. That's taking over the world. All the liberalism that's out there, again, not to go down a rabbit trail, but people who are just so confused about so many different things that are patently obvious to the average person. I don't understand this and that and, and, and how you can't say what you really think without being branded this or that. People like me are in real danger in 2021. Why? Because we're not politically correct. We don't drink the Kool-Aid of mainstream society. We're really, I, I don't care. I honestly don't care. Less than you know I care. But that being said, people like me are in real danger of being censored out there. When you get up and you talk about what the Bible says, and you fill in the blank, how long will it be before they come in the back door and government regulators are there? Who knows? That's the world we live in right now. Am I worried about No, I wake up every day happy. Why is that? Do I have... Oh, yes, I've got problems. Do I have difficulties? Yes, a thousand times. Yes, I do. But I wake up every day with a heart full of joy. Why is that? Because I know Jesus Christ. I know He saved me. I know where I'm going when I leave this world. And I know this is just a pit stop to where my real home is. Whatever... And I will tell you this, folks. Whatever problem you have today... It has a built-in expiration date. You say, this is going to go on forever. I tell you, it's demonstrably true. That's false. Your problem will not last forever. Either it will be solved, you'll deal with it, and you'll pass away. One of those things is going to happen. But folks, it won't be this way forever. This is a temporary situation. Be it good, be it bad, that's the reality. You better be preparing for the world to come. That's where you're going to spend your time. External circumstances. How applicable is Paul's writing as if it were on the presses today? I pray today for you to be revived. For your spiritual fire to be rekindled. And if you're going to be revived, you have to be encouraged in your faith. I want you to be encouraged today. But not in the Joel Osteen sense of the word. Not in the rainbows and unicorns sense of it. Real encouragement. And by the same token... I, I want you to re-examine your priorities in life. Think about it, folks. None of us is promised tomorrow. None of us knows how much time we have. Whatever you're going to do for Jesus Christ, get out of the planning mode and get into the engagement mode. 
who knows how much time we really have. Philippians 1, 1 to 18. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the NIV translation, 1984. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, young Timothy, Paul's helper, his co-laborer in Christ. He'd been with Paul at the founding of the Philippian church. He was well known to the believers there. Now, greetings in the ancient world were much more significant than they are in our day and time. You can glean from the author's tone in the Bible sometimes very good material from the introductory verses. It was not unusual for Paul to issue a greeting. He was very eloquent in these matters. But notice here, Paul does not refer to himself as an apostle, as he often did. He simply refers to himself and young Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. Is that significant? I think it is. The Greek word he uses here is doulos. It means literally slave. And perhaps Paul did not feel the need to highlight his apostolic authority here, his credentials, because of his relationship with his church. I believe he was expressing true humility by using that term. The great evangelist, Dr. Bill Bright, a giant of the faith. He was a Presbyterian evangelist. Imagine that. Bill Bright. He was known to refer to himself in the very same manner. It says this on Bill Bright's... He founded Campus Crusade for Christ. He wrote the gospel tract, The Four Spiritual Laws. He was the one who came with the Jesus film that a billion people have seen. What did Bill Bright put on his tombstone? A slave of Jesus by choice. Do you think that attitude had a lot to do with the success, how God used his life? I think it did. Notice also, Paul refers to all the saints at Philippi. Again, not unusual. Paul used that phrase quite a bit. But I know when Christians today, you see that word saint, two different thoughts go through a lot of people's heads. Number one, what do they think? I know people who are at church that I surely wouldn't call a saint. And number two, to be honest, knowing myself as well as I do, I wouldn't call myself a saint. Now, it seems that in this usage, Paul is not referring to their level of personal holiness. He's telling them who they are in Christ, the fact they've been justified. In other words, you're a saint not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And I'm grateful to God for that this morning. I hope you are also. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 3 is significant. R. Kent Hughes says this about it. This is so typical of Paul because in truth, 
hear this, Paul rarely thanked God for things. Paul thanked God for people who, despite whatever trouble they might have been to him, remained a source of joy and thanksgiving. Paul thanked God for people and not for things. I heard an illustration a while back. I don't remember the source. It went something like this. There was a young preacher. He graduated from seminary. He was called to a church. About a year later, after being there in that church field, he talked to his favorite professor, his mentor, as it were. And the professor said, how's it going there at the church? He said, well, okay, overall, I love preaching. If it wasn't for all those people, it would be great. And here's where we get real for just a minute. People sometimes are difficult, aren't they? I wasn't really expecting amens on that one. There are some people you just don't get along with. In the church, they rub you the wrong way. If you see them in Walmart, you do a U-turn and head down the cookware aisle. For ten minutes until the coast is clear. We can pretend or we can tell the truth. I mean, that's just how it is. And by the way, someone in a church told me that about the Walmart experience. I think it was a, a Protestant confession of sorts, but I've done the same thing in Cracker Barrel, so I don't know why she's telling me. But recently it happened, but anyway. Amy did too. She was hiding. We were over there where the the greatest of Alabama, greatest hit CDs were trying to avoid it. <clears throat> it was an awkward, you had to know the background. It was an awkward situation. So, But if you want to be renewed, if you want to be revived in Christ, you have to recognize you need to genuinely love your brethren in Christ, starting with those in this church. <clears throat> you know, I have found... There's a lot of people I don't have a lot in common with. You say, well, after this morning, I understand why that is. <clears throat> but I'll just tell you this. If there's somebody you're just worlds apart from, if you give that person the benefit of the doubt, if you start looking for positive things instead of criticizing that person, while you may never be best friends, Before long, if you look for the positive and not the negative, start building up, quit tearing down. Before long, guess what happens? A genuine fondness develops for that person. You will grow closer if you try. And if you want to keep being ugly about it, you'll grow further apart. If Greensburg Baptist Church is going to reach its full potential in God's work here, each of you must strive to be a people person. My mother told me when I was a child, people are more important than things. And how true that has been over the years. Remember this, Jesus Christ died for each individual person. And if he did that, if our Lord cared that much about each individual person, shouldn't you and I do the same? As Christians, who are we to write off Individuals, entire families or groups within the church, we don't have that authority. Remember, we are all servants, not masters. Just like Bill Bright, a slave of Jesus by choice, that's the mentality you and I should have. Jesus Christ washed the feet of the disciples. Can you imagine such a thing? You have... Theanthropist, the God-man, God in the flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you imagine seeing Jesus Christ in the flesh face to face? And so often I hear people say, profaners in the world and so forth, and they'll say, if God is real, if, well, if I ever see Jesus, I've got a few things to tell him. Really? Well, outside of the absurdity of that whole remark, as if you're going to be standing there in, in, in that The reality is this. You know what I would do if I saw Jesus Christ face to face? Would I have a a laundry list of complaints? I'd be on my face as low as I could get, crying out, Thank you, Lord! And just cry out, pray. How could It would be overwhelming. The highest experience a believer could have is to be in the presence of Christ. Can you imagine it? 
People are more important than things. Christ died for the individual. Christ washed the feet of the disciples. God, the creator of the world, is there washing people's feet. There's nothing in a church that's too low a task for me or you or anyone in this building. Do what needs to be done. Serve where the need is. We're all servants. And if there's an old argument, an old issue with another person, and that's preventing you from interacting with someone, if there's a, a real, if there's bad blood somewhere, not that this ever happened in Kentucky. Bad blood. Family conflict. I just urge you, move forward in a positive way. When you hold on to a grudge, it's like holding on to a cancer when you have the vaccine sitting in your cupboard and you refuse to take it. Paul instructed us, Ephesians 4 and 32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Are you a forgiving person? If you're not, you'll never reach your potential in God's Word. Do you have a hardened heart? I hope not. Verses 4 through 6 continue. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you shall carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Now remember, Paul's incarcerated in some form while he's writing this letter, yet he was praying with joy. And notice, first of all, Paul is praying for all of them. A church that's going to thrive in 2021 is a church where the members pray for one another, the members pray for the church staff, for the local community, for our country, for leaders of the country. Whether you, whether you voted or your person got voted in or not, pray for those in leadership positions. Pray for everybody. I remember as a child there was a plaque on the wall in our den. It was an old uh, wood paneling wall. And there was a plaque there. And there was an image on that of clasped hands with this inscription from Alfred Tennyson, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. And friend, that was true in 1970, and it's true today. And when Paul prayed, he did so with joy. Again, the joy epistle here. R.A. Torrey, the evangelist of days past, once said this, there is more joy in Jesus in 24 hours than there is in the world in 365 days. I've tried them both. But Paul was joyous. The Philippian church had been supportive of him in physical assistance, in financial assistance. And that word partnership is translated from the Greek koinonia. It implies close fellowship, intimacy, and the relationship between the parties. They were partners in the gospel. Can the same be said of you? Southern Baptists are well known for collectively giving money for the cause of missions, evangelism, and so forth. I hope you're participating financially. But I tell you this, our responsibility as saved people goes beyond mere giving. I realize not every Christian is a trained platform speaker or evangelist. But the question is this, do you intentionally talk about your faith to other people? Do you seek out gospel conversations, or do you run from them? And with so many Christians, this is where the excuses start. I don't have time to address them all. Some will say this. I'll hit a couple of high points. They might ask me a question I can't answer. Welcome to the club. That's true for any person. I have heard research professors of New Testament at major seminaries say, I don't know. That's a good one. I'll have to get back to you on that one. If professors can be stumped, preachers can be stumped, you see a pattern here. The fact is, no human being can answer every single spiritual question. And frankly, the lost man doesn't need 100% knowledge to recognize his need for salvation and the cure that is found in Jesus Christ. Remember, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we want to know. It tells us what we need to know. I get asked some of the strangest questions across my career. And the things that I think are important, people ignore. And the things that are irrelevant are what they focus on. 
it'll be like, you know, so-and-so. Uh, well, how do we know? Some minor point that's irrelevant, but that's the question that I get. But what, what, about the, what about this or that relating to soteriology, the doctrine of salvation? I don't care about that. I want to talk about what happened in this carpenter. Well, he, really, he really wasn't a carpenter. There wasn't that much wood back then. Is that, the, is that what we were going to go through, really? I don't want to do that. Let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about assurance. Let's talk about life beyond life. I don't want to get into things about, you know, just minor issues. It's not important to me. People want to know a lot of things. They need to know certain things. People will say, I can't witness. I don't know what to say. I tell you this. Every saved person has a personal testimony. People love biographies. Why does every person write one? Because they sell. People want to know what Jesus Christ has done for you. Much more could be said, but I just tell you this. Evangelism is expected of every Christ follower. And verse 6 goes on to say, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What is this good work Paul's referring to? Their salvation. It's a wonderful verse. It speaks to the confidence we have in Christ and the assurance he offers to believers. And I'll add this. At the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified in the forensic sense. You're declared not guilty. I praise God for that reality. But in another sense, our salvation is not fully complete in this mortal realm. It'll be brought into its full completion, its finality. When we're there with the Lord, when the end of all things comes. And what a day that's going to be. And along this same line, I'd like to share a word of encouragement regarding our loved ones who have died in Christ. I don't know why this is. It's just the nature of how it's fallen for me. I have been around funerals my entire life. Before I even was in ministry, when I was this tall, we were in the funeral home all the time. In that, I'm from the deep south. In that tradition, you went to every one of them, and they were often, you know, couple of day affairs, whatever it might be. I am very familiar with, with that world, and I just tell you this: I know what it's like to grieve, and I've seen God's people grieve very deeply. The Independent Baptist Tom Malone once uses this illustration. I pray it's an encouragement to your heart. He said this. I'm paraphrasing. We have this idea that on earth the Lord is with us. And that's true. He certainly is. But your loved one who has died in Christ is with the Lord. In His very presence. What a difference that is. What a praise it is. So much more could be said about verse 6. It is so very rich. I had a church member, a staff member, whose father just died recently. This past week, and he was a dear man of God. And when he died, we were talking, she's certainly a very strong believer. We were talking about it. And the fact that her father is gone now. But we, the reality is simply this. That man, his faith was rock solid. When someone like that, someone leaves this world, and they cross over and go where the Lord is. They're there with Jesus Christ. There is nothing. We'd love to have them back. We'd love to hug them again. We'd love to hold them again. But the reality is, don't you recognize, they couldn't be pulled away from that place with the 18-wheeler. The joy, the bliss. Can you imagine being held in the arms of Jesus Christ as a reality? Seeing Him in His glorified form, with the scales removed from your eyes, and knowing that it's never going to end, the bliss of it all. Your loved one in Christ, folks, is in sheer bliss. Verses 9 to 11, moving down. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's a mystery in prayer. No man fully understands it. Uh, if I have more time, I go into more depth here, but we've got to be cautious of, of the hour. I'll just tell you this. Prayer is a mysterious thing. With that said, I tell you definitively, prayer works. Prayer changes things. The mechanism of how that occurs, theologians get tied into knots over it, believe me, all day long. We don't know exactly how God works in it. 
But I've prayed enough to know He does work in it. He responds to our prayers. And Paul is revealing in these verses that what he prayed about the Philippian church. He wanted love to overflow. And that love was to have a substantial basis, not syrupy, sappy, Hallmark greeting card type things. It was to have a substantial basis. When you know more about the Bible, when you know more about doctrine, when you know more about God ultimately, you're able to love the Lord himself with a greater depth and an intensity. Having spiritual discernment is very important because it allows you to prioritize spiritual issues. I referred to it a moment ago. Some things are just more important than others. And when you can accurately make those determinations in your daily life, you'll live a more balanced and more effective Christian life. Personal righteousness is spoken to here in verse 11. The life of a separated, holy Christian makes a difference in this world. I'll just tell you this. In your workplace, in your school, wherever you might be on a daily basis, in a coffee shop, whatever it is, if people know you're a Christian and you live like the world, you are doing the, the cause of Christ a great disservice. If you're telling the same jokes as everybody else, if you're spewing profanity, if you're living just like they are, they'll think, what's the point? Why would I want what you've got? You're just like I am. Christians are to live a separated life. We're to be in the world, not of the world. But does your lifestyle reflect the fact that you're different than the masses around you? I don't know how it is here in Greene County. The county I serve in is about 84% lost. 84%. And if I act just like they are, are they ever going to come to my church? Don't people love to see preachers fall? Oh, sure. It's entertainment for, for the lost world. It's a tragedy for the church. Are you living a separated, holy lifestyle? If not, why not? Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, verse 12, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And a transition occurs here. Paul is speaking to what he's personally experiencing at the time of his writing. And most people would think this. Paul's got to be discouraged. The man's in jail. His evangelistic work would have come to a standstill. The exact opposite is what occurred. I'm preaching through the book of Acts at our church in Evansville. And what Paul describes here reminds me of what happened when persecution came to the early church after the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. When persecution began there, Acts chapter 8 speaks to the fact, with the exception of the, the apostles themselves, all the Christians scattered, running for their very lives. Now you would think that would have really stopped Christianity in its tracks, at least would have slowed it down, really put a body blow on the whole thing. The exact opposite outcome occurred. When Christians scattered, what happened? They preached the gospel wherever they went, thereby fulfilling Christ's Great missionary prophecy in Acts 1 and 8. You'd think it was planned after all. Paul used his incarceration to spread the gospel. He was chained to Roman guards around the clock, we believe. And can't you see Paul having a one-on-one -on -one audience there with one soldier after another and how that might have spread through the ranks? We don't know exactly what happened, but certainly there would have been bold witnesses for Christ after being around Paul. Are you inspiring anyone to greater service in their Christian walk? Are you excited about your faith? I'll ask you this question. Do your children and grandchildren get more or less excited about the things of God when they're around you? Some people say, man, you shouldn't ask that question. I'm, I'm quiet about those things. Why are you quiet about those things? I told you, I grew up in a population 200 town in rural Georgia. Men were men, women were women. Believe me on that one. Men didn't go around doing a lot of Christian things. They went to church, sat on the back row, arms crossed, stern face, they were ready to get on a combine again. Women did that kind of work. I understand the tradition. Believe me, I understand it. It's unbiblical. When people are around you, do they get more or less excited about the things of God? Just something to think about it. 
Finally, verses 15 to 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes. And I will continue to rejoice. Two types of preachers in Rome at this time, at least that are mentioned. Those who are preaching for selfish, immature motives and others who are quite sincere. Now, we must understand here, this first category, those with mixed selfish motives, they were still preaching the gospel of Christ. These are not false teachers. They're not heretics. Their message was not the problem. Their motivation was the issue. Maybe some just didn't like Paul. Maybe they were jealous of all the success that he had had. The spotlight that was on them because of how prominent Paul's conversion was. And they're hurting Paul. Intentionally, it appears. So what's Paul's response? Is he mad about it? He effectively says, so what? The main thing is, is the gospel is proclaimed. I praise God for that reality. So what do we take away from that? For Paul, his personal circumstances weren't the main thing. He had given up personal comfort, personal safety on the day he trusted Christ on the Damascus Road. He expected persecution from the lost world. The world he had formerly been so prominent in. And if persecution came from within the church, he wasn't distracted by that either. It wasn't that he didn't care. It wasn't that he didn't feel the pain. Not at all. Look, there's no inherent value in suffering just for the sake of suffering. The question is, what are you suffering for? Paul was suffering for the cause of Christ. And as long as God's work was progressing, Paul took joy in the fact the gospel proclamations above all else. That's the most important thing when you have an eternal perspective. So what about you today? Do you want revival for Greensburg Baptist Church? If so, I tell you this, it begins with personal revival in the hearts of each person in this auditorium. Do you have the attitude of Paul? Do you let secondary things go? Are you a people person? Or one willing to work on it anyway? Do you have a graceful, forgiving spirit? Are you willing to be inconvenienced putting your personal preferences to the side to keep the gospel moving forward? Day to day, are you willing to go outside your comfort zone and actually tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you? Our spiritual gifting varies. I recognize that. But we're all called to the work of personal evangelism. And I will tell you this from experience. If you say, I've had bad experiences there. Whether the person you're speaking to kindly listens to what you have to say, or perhaps they trust Christ. But if they, if, they, if they faithfully, kindly hear you, or if they throw your material on the ground, curse at you and slam the door, I will tell you this. When you're faithful to do what God's called you to do, you will have joy. The deep, the profound joy that God gives to those who truly serve Him from the heart. Many years ago, I was a layman at the time. We were at a church in North Atlanta, and we were, matter of fact, this fellow pastor's in Kentucky now, but I was going door to door with a, with a senior pastor of a church there, and we were knocking on doors. A Billy Graham crusade was coming to Atlanta. This is in the 90s. And we knocked on a certain door, and this fellow, I won't mention his name, but dear man of God, he knocked on the door, and this woman smiled, and he said, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so Baptist church, and we just want to let you know Billy Graham's having a crusade at the, I think it was the Omni back then, might have been, I don't remember, but anyway, it was downtown, and we wanted to invite you. And can we pray for you today? Her face went from smiling to an ashen white to almost a rage. And she looked at him, repeated things, said words I won't repeat, slammed that door. It, it, that door slammed so hard I could feel it, and I was three feet behind him. And I watched what he did. You know what he did? Did he retaliate? Did he say, well, he looked at me, he smiled, he said, let's go to the next door. I learned a lesson that day. Didn't miss a beat. He, he let it roll right off his back. Persecution came. Mark, let's go to the next house. Didn't, never talked about it. The lesson was taught right there. When you're faithful, God gives you joy. 
I close this morning with a quote from the biblical scholar D.A. Carson. And as I read it, I ask you this. Please honestly consider the priorities in your life. Dr. Carson said this, quote, As Christians, we are called to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. What are your aspirations? To make money, to get married, to travel, to see your grandchildren grow up, to find a new job, to retire early. None of these is inadmissible. None is to be despised. The question is whether these aspirations become so devouring that the Christian's central aspiration is squeezed to the periphery or choked out of existence entirely. Where are your priorities today? Let's pray together. Father, I come to you today praising you for the power of your word, the power of Paul's ministry and how it still speaks to us 2,000 years later. Lord, I ask today, please burn into the hearts of those who gather here, those who will listen later on by way of, of video, internet, whatever it may be. And they take these truths to heart. And may your word prosper in the thing for which you have sent it. May it not return void. May you be glorified by it all, Lord. Please move in this invitation. We pray in Christ's mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning, we're going to have a, an invitation, a hymn of appeal, as it used to be called those many years ago. <clears throat> and I just talked to you from the heart here just for a moment. Your greatest need is salvation. I've told you before that the county I come from is about 84% lost. I don't know about Greensburg. I, most places I go to, most people are lost. Biblically, I believe most people are lost when I look at it. <clears throat> Salvation's all of God. It's all of grace. And this, this is messed up every, all over the place. Preachers get the gospel wrong. Blake said I had a passion for clarity. I, I really do. Because I have been in places and I thought, you know, if I was a lost man, I walked in that building, I walked out more confused than I came in there. Salvation is a free gift. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross of Calvary. And when he had died there, before he died, he said, it is finished. The debt's been paid. There's nothing you can add to the finished work of Christ at Calvary. You come to Christ as you are, just as I am without one plea. Yes. And let me make a critical point here. This is where so many people miss it. They'll say, well, preacher, I'll get saved when I can really live it, when I'm ready. Friend, if you wait till you're ready, you'll never come to Christ. You don't clean up your life to get saved. You get saved to get cleaned up. And, and, and there, there's an element of change there. I mean, repentance and faith. And people think, well, I have to clean up. No, you don't. Repentance, in a strict sense, is a fundamental reorientation. At the It's a change of mind in the Greek. Not just like changing your mind about what you're going to eat for dinner. It's a fundamental reorientation. I am wrong. God is right. I am lost. I need to be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way. And I'm going to go to hell if I don't embrace Him. A fundamental reorientation, that's repentance. A change of mind that results in a change of life. You don't come to God and say, well, save me, but I'm going to stay just like I am. The expectation is changed, but I warn you here too. Don't be a fruit inspector of another person. Don't say, well, he's clearly a pretender. You don't see all the things that go on. Friends, sometimes victories are won that no one knows about but the person in God. Think about the alcoholic for a moment. Let's say a person is saved. He was an alcoholic and he still loves the drink. And he's fighting it. And he's getting better. But some days he drives down the interstate. He doesn't pull off that liquor store. Some days he does. He's just driving down the highway to the casual observer. But in fact, he's won a great victory. He skipped that turn off where he used to go. Be graceful towards other people. You're the judge of no one. Neither am I. God's the judge. Ultimately, all judgment is the sons. So look at your own house first. Are you saved by grace through faith? Are you sure of it? Has there been a time in your life you've come to Christ like this? God doesn't so much care about the words. It's the attitude of your heart. God looks at the inward side of you. He knows your motivation. Talk to him silently aloud, something like this. Dear God, I'm a sinner. That's self-judgment. That's a form of repentance. I see myself as I am. 
I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need to be saved. I recognize you, Lord Jesus Christ. You're the only way. All other ways are false. And right now, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust you. I place my faith in you and you alone for now and forever. I embrace you. Save me, Lord Jesus. It really boils down to that. Lord, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Please save me. Are you saved? Are you sure of it? Walking an aisle won't save you. Being a Southern Baptist won't save you. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Have you embraced Him? And are you sure? You say, I don't want to come down today in front of all these people. If you honestly think you might not be a saved person, are you willing to risk hell and not walk the not come down here? Is that really it? Eternity is too long to be wrong. That's true. Much can be said about it. Are you saved and are you sure of it today? Salvation's a gift, folks. Take the gift. Have you been baptized since you were saved? Baptismal waters are not magical. That's not the fountain of youth. People say, I've been baptized. Congratulations. That didn't save you. That's a form of worship. You're following Christ. Christ was baptized by immersion. Have you been baptized since you were saved? Get the order in its proper Get in the proper order. You're saved, then you're baptized. Have you been baptized since? It's not you need to be. Maybe God's calling you to join this church. This is a wonderful church. With wonderful leadership, I might add. Faithful leadership. If God's calling you to join here, join it. If you have other spiritual needs, Blake will help you. We'll help you as best we can. This is your opportunity. Don't boast of tomorrow. Don't boast of another opportunity. You may not have another opportunity. It's a fool's gamble. I'll get right with God tomorrow. Really? What if he, what if tonight's your night? This is your opportunity. Say yes to Jesus Christ as we sing. Let's stand together. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.